God, we, as we look in your word, we know we can't, uh, there's nothing can happen unless your Holy Spirit turns on the supernatural flashlight, so to speak, inside of our hearts so we can see and hear what you want us to see and hear. So we ask you to do that for us. Let me ask this in your name. Amen. All right, uh, today is a fortune cookie Sunday, so my son David's going to pass out. Everybody gets a fortune cookie, and there's a reason we're doing that. They're all pre-wrapped. Um, but as he's passing those out, we're going to do a fortune cookie quiz, all right? Because I learned things about fortune cookies I didn't know, all right? Uh, question number one, as, don't open your cookies yet. The origin of the fortune cookie, uh, as far back as the 1870s, some confectionery shops near this city made a folded cracker with a fortune tucked inside, and they called it a fortune cracker. Option A was Beijing, China. Option B, Guangzhou, China. Option C, Hong Kong. Option D, Kyoto, Japan. And option E, Steinsville, Indiana. All right, correct answer is? The correct answer is actually D, Kyoto, Japan. So we're kind of confused a little bit because the fortune cookie actually had Japanese origins, not Chinese. And in case you uh, thought it was Steinsville, of course it's not. But anyway, next question. Uh, go to the next one. The modern-day fortune cookie is made with vanilla and butter flavoring. However, the original fortune cracker was made with what? A, rice flour and soy, B, sesame and miso, C, flour and raw fish, or D, goat milk and rice flour. Answer? Answer is B, sesame and miso was the original fortune cracker originated in Japan. Next one. Uh, this restaurant claims to be the first restaurant in the U.S. to serve fortune cookies sometimes around 1911. Now, I won't pronounce them all. But uh, all of these restaurants claim they were the first ones to produce fortune cookies in the U.S. And you'll notice the first three are all Japanese. The last one's Hong Kong Noodle Company, all right? Next one. Uh, Japanese immigrants around early 1900s couldn't open Japanese restaurants and thus sell their fortune cookies as a dessert because, A, Americans didn't trust them, B, Americans couldn't afford the food, C, Americans didn't want to eat raw fish, D, Americans preferred Taco Bell, or E, Americans preferred Chinese food. Answer? Actually, on this one, it's, it's C. Americans didn't want to eat raw fish, so they wouldn't go to Japanese restaurants. So, again, they were the ones that started the fortune cracker. Next one. Uh, the fortune cookies, once produced by Japanese Americans, eventually wound up in the hands of Chinese American manufacturers because of A, Chinese-Japanese war, B, Pearl Harbor, C, Chinese manufacturers use more sugar, or D, a worldwide shortage of raw fish. Answer is B. Because of Pearl Harbor and Japanese, often the, the Japanese internment on the West Coast, you know, they were um, Chinese manufacturers took it over, um, and they said that. So, so the the fortune cookie did not start in China at all. It was Japanese, and then it became because they said Americans always wanted dessert after a meal. The Japanese were serving it, and then the Chinese manufacturers took it over because it was so popular. So next one, this is, I think it's, we get to the New, the New York-based wonton food, the largest fortune cookie producer, manufactures how many fortune cookies each day? 40,000, 400,000, 4 million, 4 billion. Answer, answer C, 4 million a day they produce. All right, now go ahead and open your fortune cookie and get your fortune out. And we'll figure out some way to get you to throw it all away. These are real fortune. I don't. I have no. I didn't. I did. I just bought these. Uh, I don't know. Let's see. John Ubel here. What's your fortune say? You 
Okay, all right. Uh, Judy, how about you? Okay, all right. So we all have these, you know, and, and uh, we have these fortunes that are predicted for us. But here's the question I'll, throw, I'll end with right here. Go to the next slide. Um, I think I have one more next one. Do I have another one? Yeah, you're right there, right there. No, that one. What are, yeah, what are the odds fortune inside your cookie will come true for you? In other words, we know this is kind of random. It's like, it's like uh, you know, the astrology charts. Yeah, maybe. You could probably force it to ask. Ah, but it's not really, there's no promise behind this. There's no, there's no truth behind this. I mean, John may be recognized as a community leader, but if it's not because he got this particular uh, fortune cookie today. So this idea of how do I know if it's going to come true? Well, it's fun. It's a fun game, but we know there's nothing real behind it, Right? Um, nothing, there's no promises of fulfillment. They don't promise anything with fortune cookies. They just, and you can go and eat it if you, might, if you don't mind people next to you crunching or whatever. Um, so I've been doing a series, started a few weeks ago, go to the next one, called, it's the, uh, uh, Following Jesus, there's no one like him. It's the Gospel of Matthew, because Matthew was a tax collector, he was an outcast, because he was a tax collector, because they weren't supposed to, they weren't popular with Jewish people. He writes this account probably 20, 25 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And he's writing it to other Jewish people who are questioning, like, why would I follow Jesus? And who, is he really who we think he is? And uh, a couple weeks ago, we did the, talked about the Matthew chapter 1 and all the genealogy of Jesus and how it all. And I said, if I had a big arrow, a big, you know, one of those arrows like progressive commercials, Matthew's always pointing to Jesus. He's always saying everything tells us Jesus, everything. And so in Matthew chapter 2, which actually is a passage often you, you might read or you might hear read during Christmas. So Matthew chapter 2, go to the next one. Matthew chapter 2 is uh, the birth in the early years in the life of Jesus. So we may not do a chapter every week, but we're going to do a chapter this week. But Matthew chapter 2, and again, this is Matthew writing to skeptic religious people like I don't know who Jesus and he's he's very detailed he was a tax collector so he probably had accounting skills like Mike Cal you know it's very detailed and he's very specific about his communication because he wants people to see Jesus he's pointing all the time all right so in this particular uh in one of Matthew's big one of his kind of obsessions is he's trying to show them that what the Old Testament said was going to be fulfilled in Jesus, all right? There was 100% promises that would be fulfilled in Jesus. He was always trying to show people, that's what this means. In the old, that's what this means. That's what this means. And again, it's all pointing to Jesus. Everything points to Jesus. That's what he's, he's obsessed with that, all right? So uh, in this particular chapter, in chapter 2, he actually refers to four different Old Testament prophecies that were going to be fulfilled in Jesus. And he's trying to convince people everything. You can trust the words of God. If you were here at the beginning of the service, there was a, from Isaiah, God's promises, everything I say will come true. Every word I put out is going to bear fruit. So Matthew's obsessed with us understanding that because he's wanting to have com us to have confidence in the word of God, the promises of God to us, all right? So we're going to have, there's four different times he refers to 
promises or prophecies. And again, I know these aren't prophecy cookies or fortune cookies, but same kind of thing. Like, how do we know that the promises of God are going to come true? So first one is this. And I, in the, so this is all straight from the text. The part in the, the top is actually part of the verse, but the part in the, in the, you can't really tell, but it's kind of a parchment look. It's part of the verse, but it's when he's quoting the Old Testament. All right? So early on in the story of, of, of chapter 2, Herod finds out that uh, the wise men come to Herod and say, hey, where's the king? They saw, we saw a star. Where's the king? And Herod's like, what king? Oh, no, we saw a star. There's a king was born. Herod understandably is upset. So he goes to the priests and the teachers, the Jewish religious people, and he says, hey, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? Because he's, he's really kind of upset now because the wise men said that the king was born. He goes to the Jewish leader, hey, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? And this is their answer. Well, this is what the prophet wrote. This is what the leading Jewish religious people said. The prophet wrote this. And, he's, and, he's, and they're actually quoting from Micah chapter 5. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. So they tell him it's Bethlehem. I mean, the Bible, the prophecy tells us so. And these were leading priests, leading Jewish leaders. And we don't know if they were going to follow Jesus or not, but they were learned people. And they're like, well, the Bible says, you know, Old Testament says Bethlehem. So promise number one of God comes true. Prophecy number one, all right? Next part of the passage. Now what happens is, uh, so Jesus is born. Herod finds out that the baby is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Matthew chapter 2, the Bible tells us that Herod was furious. Because he told the wise men, hey, when you find this baby... Tell me where he is, because I want to go worship him. That was a lie from Herod. He wanted to kill him, all right? Um, so the Bible tells us that that very night, Joseph has a dream and says, get up. Herod is going to kill the baby. Go to Egypt. And what I always think is great about Joseph, it says that night, Joseph got up and they left. This fulfilled what the Lord has spoken through the prophet. And here it's quoting from Isaiah, or Hosea, Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. I've called my son out of Egypt. So Matthew's saying here's another prophecy that's fulfilled because Jesus had to be whisked away with his mom and dad to Egypt basically to escape the murderous intentions of Herod. And Matthew's like, he's telling the Jewish people, here's another prophecy fulfilled in Jesus. And it's kind of the imagery of going to Egypt kind of brings to mind the, the, the Passover and the deliverance of God's people from Egypt. So Matthew's painting this whole picture for the Jewish people. This, he's the one. He's the one. He's the one. All right. Next part. This is all in Matthew chapter 2. Then what we, Matthew, Herod gets so upset because he found out the wise men didn't. He told the wise men, hey, come back to me, and they didn't because the wise men were warned in a dream. Just like Joseph was warned in a dream to go to Egypt, wise men were warned in a dream, don't go back to Herod. So it says Herod was so upset that he had any child two years and under in the Bethlehem region killed. Of course, by now Jesus and Mary and Joseph were gone. 
Herod's brutal actions, this is straight from uh, verse 17 and 18, Herod's, Herod, Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. This was in Jeremiah chapter 31. A cry was heard in Ramah, and Ramah is the area around where Bethlehem is. Weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted for they are dead. So he, Matthew's even saying, here's another Old Testament passage. Now, just so you know about Herod, uh, they, most people think of that, about that time in Bethlehem, there might have been 20 or 30 boys under the age of two. Doesn't make it not traumatic. It's still traumatic. But Herod was known for violent and vicious actions. He had his favorite wife killed, his mother and brother-in-law of that wife killed because he was suspicious they were trying to take over his kingdom. He had his three oldest sons executed because he thought they were plotting against him. So Herod had this incre incredible paranoia, incredible violent uh, rage about him. So Matthew says, well, this fulfills. And so now Rama, let me explain Rama. Rama was the place where Rachel, who was the wife of Jacob from centuries gone by, one of the early you know, fathers of the Jewish nation, Rachel was buried near here. So it's kind of this Rama, the Bethlehem, this whole area is kind of this place of sadness but, and hope. And also Rama, this same area around Bethlehem, was where the exiles 600 years before this were gathered to be marched all the way to Babylon. So the Old Testament prophecy was of Ramah, which again is the Bethlehem region, was it's all about sadness and hope. Sadness and hope. Egypt was about deliverance. Right? But now this, so but Matthew's saying here's another Old Testament passage that if we see what happens in the early life of Jesus, boom, there's, there's a connection. It's fulfilled. It's fulfilled. All right? Last one. From Matthew chapter 2. So then it says that, so Joseph and Mary and Jesus, they're in Egypt. This is all in the story of Matthew 2. Uh, Joseph finds out Herod's dead, so he's like, I'm going to go back. But again, warned in a dream, Herod, the angel told Herod, or don't hold, don't, told Joseph, don't go back to Bethlehem, which was, of course, not their home. It's just where the baby was born, and they stayed there for a while. Because Herod's son still will try to kill him. So warned in a dream, Joseph doesn't go back there. But he goes up to Nazareth, which is where they were from originally. All right, so he goes back up there. So he's, they started in Nazareth. They were brought down to Bethlehem because of the edict of the king. Uh, they left Bethlehem to go to Egypt because of the violence of the king. And now they're heading back to Nazareth because of the king's son. So it's all this movement but every, every movement, every geographic movement has some kind of fulfillment. And so this one, when it says that they went back to Nazareth, then Matthew writes this in Matthew chapter 2, verse 23. This fulfilled what the prophets have said, he'll be called a Nazarene. Now, he will be called a Nazarene is not actually a passage straight from the Old Testament as a quote. But the sense was from there that, that Matthew was referring to the Old Testament prophets, many of them, prophesized the Messiah as someone who would be somewhat unknown, despised, and rejected. Isaiah 55 talks about that. Other, other Old Testament prophets talked about that we wouldn't recognize him. And Nazarene, to call somebody a Nazarene in those days was basically a, a derogatory term. Because you're from Nazareth, it's like you're a nobody, it's despised, rejected. Nobody important comes from there. 
So Matthew is even saying again, this is the fourth time in this chapter he's saying, there's one more thing that's coming true from the Old Testament prophets. This time he's a, he, Jesus is a Nazarene. He's a nobody from a nowhere land who's going to be despised and rejected. So there's four things that Matthew talks about, and he says, Old Testament said this, this is this. Now, go to the next slide here, because here's what's, here, here's one of the conclusions I want you to, I want you to understand from this, because we're going to, God successfully steers the course of events for his desired conclusion in Jesus, all right? God successfully steers the course of events for his desired conclusion in Jesus. So he starts in Bethlehem, or starts in Nazareth and goes to Bethlehem, leaves to go to Egypt, Egypt back to Nazareth, all because God's coordinating all this, mostly through dreams. A dream Joseph had, a dream the wise men had, a dream Joseph had again, but God coordinates all these things to fulfill what he said from the Old Testament hundreds of years ago. All right? God successfully steers the course of events for his desired conclusion to Jesus. And Matthew's again, he's an accountant kind of person. He's a tax, he's very detailed about this. He's trying to be able to understand everything God says came true. But it's because God was doing all this movement. Now, next slide. Everything's the same except the last part. God successfully steers the course of events for his desired conclusion in you. God knows he has a conclusion for your life. The Bible tells us he wants us to be full of the life and power that comes from God. It tells us he wants us to be full of joy, full of peace. He wants us to have completion of Jesus inside of us. And you might see some of the events of your life as being like, why, that's not, how, how does that fit at all? But if God was going from Galilee to Jerusalem to Egypt back to Galilee and he was coordinating all that not through random human motions but in many supernaturally led supernatural God told somebody through dreams but God was coordinating all the end product he's doing the same in my life and your life and you might think well why did that happen in my life why did this happen why or who knows in the next few months for some of us, why is this happening to me? But God is successfully steering the course of events for society conclusion in us. All right, so this next, this next slide, it's like, like I said, go to the, so you start like Galilee's way up in the north, Jerusalem's right around here, and you can't really see, but it's like these arrows, like they're there, they're or Bethlehem, I mean, they're there, they're not there, they have to leave, they zip over to Egypt, they zip back up, but everything, every movement was orchestrated by God. Now, did Joseph and Mary know it at the time? Oh, we're going to Egypt because God wants to fulfill a prophecy. No, of course they didn't know that. Oh, we're going back to Nazareth because Herod's son wants to kill, kill our son, and that's fulfilling another prophecy. They, they, they weren't even thinking in that way. They were just trusting the very next step God asked them to take. When Joseph had a dream and said, hey, get up right now and go to Egypt, he wasn't trying to figure out how that was fulfilling any kind of long-term promise, prophecy of God. He just knew, I'm going to follow what God tells me. And then when it's time to leave Egypt and go back to Nazareth, he just knew that's what God's telling me to do. He was told in a dream to do that. But God told him. God spoke to him. So it's this sense of like, I was looking at this map and I was like, that may, some of us feel like that's our life. Like, why, why was this, why was I there, then here, then here, then here? And I thought I was following Jesus, and very likely you were. 
but it doesn't, you don't see it all. But Matthew's stepping back and saying, here's what's going on. God is being very intentional about his end product in your life. So my big phrase, go to the next slide. The big phrase from this whole series is follow me. Jesus says, follow me. And so it's the same kind of lines there. It's like your life may feel like that. Well, I, you know, I was there and then I was here and then I was there and now back up there. And I don't, I don't know. And I thought I was following Jesus. I thought I was doing what he asked me to do. And you might be like, I, I don't see it. And what Matthew's trying to show, what he's trying to show these skeptical Jewish people, the same thing he's trying to show a skeptical Bloomingtonians in 2022. It's like, no, no. God knows what he's doing in your life. You may think, well, I thought I was doing what God wanted me to, and you, maybe you are. Just like Joseph's like, well, I, you know, God told us to go to Egypt. I have no idea why. God told us to go here. I have no idea why. Other than he knew that's what he was supposed to do. He knew what he was supposed to do and where he was supposed to be, and that was God's steering things so he would accomplish exactly what he wanted in Jesus' life. Just like in your life and my life. So you follow Jesus, it won't always make sense to you. I remember a phrase years ago my wife repeated to me that she heard somebody say one time, it's not all obedience makes sense. Not all obedience makes sense because you think, well, it shouldn't make sense to me. Can't imagine it made sense to Joseph. So why are we going to Egypt? Well, we, have to, we don't want him to, Jesus to die, but he doesn't see this four different passages from the Old Testament that are fulfilled because Joseph followed what God told him to do. So I'm going to end with this phrase from this is one of my favorite passages. Um, it's actually, I put Ephesians 1.6, I just realized it's Philippians 1.6, so pardon my, my biblical mistake there, but I, I know it's Philippians 1.6, so it's like my favorite verse. Um, but Paul says this to the, Ephesians, to the Philippians, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion, all right? He will fulfill the prophecy. It's not like a random, God's promises aren't like a random fortune. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Maybe in me, maybe not. No. Whatever God said, he will complete in you. And you may be confused with the map of your life right now. Like, why, why, why did that happen? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? And it's one of those things maybe we don't always see, but if you step back, like Matthew steps back and Matthew helps people see, no, there's a bigger picture. It all points to Jesus. It all points to a conclusion that God knows he's going to get in you. And it doesn't make sense. I know a lot of you are going through things, uh, like, like Sadie said. Sadie and Aaron are, but she said, I know people are going through things too. And like, we don't, we don't understand. Why, why are we doing this? Why do we have to go there? Why this? Why, why this trauma? Why this difficulty? Why get up in the middle of the night to go to Egypt? I don't understand. But what Matthew does for us, and maybe what the Holy Spirit wants us to do, is we have to stop and step back and get the bigger picture and say, oh, I th this isn't random. God's not acting randomly in your life or my life. He knows exactly what the end product is in you, and that is he's going to complete what he started in you. And so if you're, not, if you're confused with the geography of your life, so to speak, the spiritual geography, not necessarily where you live, but all the movements that you feel like those don't, makes sense to me, uh, God's capable to, to steer your soul to completion in Jesus so there'd be fullness of joy, fullness of peace, 
fullness of confidence in what God's doing in your life. So Matthew does that for us to help us see that happen in Jesus. But it just reminds us that God is faithful to complete what he started in us. So I'm going to finish with this. Kristen, go back to the very opening psalm, or the Isaiah passage. It's on the very beginning. It's the second slide. No, it's, it's what we started the service with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just keep going backwards. Go back to the force cookie stuff. Back one more. Back one more. Oh. It was the very beginning. That's okay. That's okay. Simply, I said, Isaiah said, or God said, uh, whenever I send out my word, it will always produce fruit. I'm paraphrasing. That's what he said. Whenever I send out my word, whatever I say is going to happen. It's going to happen in your life. It's going to happen in your life, in my life. Don't worry about it now. But whatever God says will happen. All right? Not like the random, uh, yeah, go to the next one then. It is this, actually, read the yellow with me, and then we'll close. All right? Out loud, here we go. It's the same with my word. I send it out, and it always produces fruit. I will accomplish all I want. Oh, sorry. Back. It will accomplish. I said it wrong. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. Now let's pray. God, it is the same with your word. That you send it out and your promises, it will come to be. It's not a random thing. It's not a fortune cookie thing. It's not a, a hope so. I wonder if it's a, what you said is it will produce the end product that you want. So you know the end product in all of our souls is fullness of your life, fullness of your power, fullness of your joy, fullness of your peace. So every movement of our lives, you're able to use that and steer it toward a completion inside of us because you, that's what you want for us. You want us to be full of your life, full of your power. So would you, would you give us that confidence that we don't always see the big picture? We can't understand it all the time, but we follow you with the every day, small decisions, big decisions, our job is to follow Jesus, obey him, and be confident that you who began a good work in us is going to lead us to completion. You're going to complete the work in our souls. And we're grateful for that. We're grateful that you don't give up on us. We're grateful that when you speak a promise, God, it will always come to being. Always. And we ask this all in your, in your name. Amen. So uh, we, t we finished every week with communion. And um, I was going to, I was actually going to, well, when I'm going to do this, I mean, there's not, it's not a fortune cookie on the communion plate, right? It's not a, well, I'm taking this because I hope something good happens this week in my life. But when we, it's the body and the blood of Jesus that he offers to us, it's not a good luck thing, I hope it happens. It's no, this is, this is the promise that he never leaves and forsakes us and he's always active in our lives. So we're not serving up, we don't serve up fortune cookies. That's not what we, we're not worshiping at the hope so random kind of idea of spiritual uh, fulfillment. It's like, no, what Jesus said will happen, will happen. What God promises will happen in your life will happen. And uh, if nothing else, as you take this today, maybe the, your internal conversation with Jesus is simply, I trust you. I don't understand all the movements of my life, but I trust you. All right. So like we always do, um, uh, come up and take, just get in line when you, and we have the wafers, we have the self-contained things and the juice. So Jesus, we're grateful that you, uh, 
We're grateful that you gave yourself and you, what scripture says, you opened up this whole new and living way. You tore out, you tore down the curtain that separated us from you and God. And when we take this into our bodies, it's a reminder to us that you are in us. Your Holy Spirit is in us, always doing work in ways we can't see and most likely can't even understand. But we know that your promise is to fulfill and to complete everything you've said would happen in our lives. Every promise you've made about us, uh, you're faithful. So as we take this, would it be a, our way of expressing our gratitude that you're faithful? You always complete what you say. Let me ask this all in your name. Amen.